0: Hello, KHN What the Health fans. I'm your host, Julie Rodner, Chief Washington Correspondent for Kaiser Health News. We're doing something a little different this holiday week. Because Medicare for All is so much in the news right now, we're going to rerun the Explainer episode we did back in February. But first, I'm joined in the studio by KHN's Shafali Luthra. We're going to chat for a few minutes about how health got handled in the Democratic debates last week, We're taping this top on Friday, June 28th at 3.30 p.m. So if stuff happens over the weekend, we'll pick it up when we do our next regular podcast on July 11th. So here we go. welcome to What the Health. Hey, Julie. Thanks for having me. So you watched and fact checked both debates, 10 candidates each for two hours last Wednesday and Thursday nights for claims and promises about health care. What stood out to you as the biggest takeaway?
1: The moment when Elizabeth Warren's hand shot up when asked if she would abolish private insurance. That was huge. We've never seen her commit so clearly to a stance on Medicare for all before. She's really come at it from a lot of angles. And it seemed like this really clear moment in which she aligned herself with the Bernie Sanders wing of this debate. She actually said that she was with Bernie. Yeah, and she hasn't said that before. It's, that's a really big deal. I know. I,
0: she did that New York Times interview a couple of weeks ago where they said, so would you like to you know, pursue Medicare for all or fix the Affordable Care Act? And she rather famously said yes <laughs> to an either or
1: question. And of course, I mean, we know that they aren't mutually exclusive paths, but at the same time, this is just a really, really strong statement of where she stands. And we didn't see a lot of Democrats make that clear commitment.
0: When it comes to Medicare for all, the debate moderators seem to focus a lot on whether people might have to give up their private insurance, obviously a big political issue but it seems they forgot or maybe didn't realize that what most of these proposals have in mind is that almost everyone would have to give up the coverage they have now, including those on Medicare and Medicaid. The concept is that everybody would be better off in what is supposed to be a more generous
1: program, but that's not guaranteed, is it? This is the big thing, right? Everyone is afraid of losing what they have, even if there's a promise of something potentially better. I mean, and if they hate what they have, which a lot of people do. Still, I mean, do you know that the government can actually deliver? This is why loss aversion is a thing that political scientists talk about. We've seen the government try and do things before, and sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. How do you know that they'll actually devise a health plan that'll work for you? And sometimes, like with the ACA, it just crashes on takeoff, even
0: if even if it gets better later, I think that still has a lot of people kind of scarred. It's hard not to think about healthcare.gov when thinking about all of this. Republicans are clearly going to make a thing of that. They're not just calling it socialism, but I see a lot of skepticism about whether or not the government can actually pull off running a healthcare system. But at the
1: same time, right, we don't want to understate the hunger from a lot of voters for some kind of change because a lot of them are so frustrated by how expensive healthcare is and often how little their insurance will cover for them.
0: This has been I guess the, the the telling debate about healthcare since really the nineteen thirties and forties. It's like We may not like what we have, but do you really trust the government to be able to do this?
1: Who knows? Do you? And that I mean,
0: that's a political question as much as anything else. Yeah. and, And I guess how bad it has to get before people are willing to turn to the government and trust them. And yet everybody seems to love Medicare, which is a government run
1: program. They do. I was actually saying to someone earlier today that no matter how deep these divides among Democrats seem over, you know, Medicare for all, public option, what have you. It's just the consensus is so clear that something needs to change. And I think that comes in a large part from how strong the reaction is from Americans who aren't happy with what they have.
0: So a lot of people commented on social media and elsewhere that the debate has kind of become Medicare for all versus Medicare for all who want it, as Pete Buttigieg put it in the debate. That's kind of the four hardcore Medicare for all supporters, who the ones who raised their hands during the, the two debates. So Senators Bernie Sanders, Elizabeth Warren, Kamala Harris, and New York Mayor Bill de Blasio versus the rest of the pack that want either a more gradual move to universal coverage or a bigger continuing role for private insurance.
1: but. It's not really that clear, is it? It's like those four versus the rest. So deeply not that clear. I mean, Kamala Harris this morning, right, sort of mushied her stance again on Morning Joe, saying she misunderstood the question, expressed openness to many paths. Or look at someone like Senator Gillibrand, who talked about a public option, didn't raise her hand, but said she sees the public option as a natural path to ultimately Medicare for all and single payer and talked compellingly about what she sees as the benefits of that. There's a lot of interest from Democrats in a lot of different proposals, and Medicare for all is still one of them. And Senator Gillibrand made such a point of saying that she wrote the transition in Mm -hmm. Senator Sanders' bill. That's sort of clearly where she wants to be. And that she campaigned on that in 2005. Which apparently she did. She did. PolitiFact fact-checked that. She did, in fact, say that. Even though we talk about Medicare for
0: all and the public likes to talk about Medicare for all, it means different things. And these candidates, pretty much with the exception of Bernie Sanders, are in a lot of different places on this.
1: And I mean, probably on some level, right, they're engaging with the reality that if you are president, what are you actually going to be able to achieve? And how do you think about that with the long term goals?
0: So Bernie Sanders in particular seemed to focus a lot on their ire with the current health system on health insurance companies. In fact, Joe Biden suggested putting insurance executives in jail over their involvement in the opioid epidemic. I think (sighs) he got his talking points maybe mixed up there. But notwithstanding, insurance companies actually aren't the ones making the biggest profits off the healthcare system these days, right?
1: This talking point is just so so, so special to me, and I I think about it because insurance companies are very easy villains. Pharmaceutical companies are very easy villains, and they fit into this broad narrative that is so dominant in the primary right about the system that's rigged against you and the big corporate interests. But hospitals, everyone loves their local hospital, but hospitals are responsible for a lot of why healthcare is so expensive. They are often responsible for those big out-of-network bills. And yet no one seems willing to talk about the role that they play in the system and how that'll have to change if people are hoping for meaningful reform. And someone pointed out to me on Twitter last night when I suggested
0: that insurance companies are not necessarily the ones making the biggest profits, that insurance companies are the only players in the healthcare system whose profits are limited by law. That was one of the things the Affordable Care Act did. It created those medical loss ratios where insurance companies actually have to give rebates if they earn too much in, in profits. Nobody else in the health system has to do that. And
1: like we should. I not pretend that there isn't a lot of money in the private insurance industry. I mean, Elizabeth Warren's point on Wednesday night about the was it the twenty nine billion some substantial amount of money. I mean, that is there. Insurance companies do extract a lot of profit out of the system, but and their CEOs make a lot of money. Yes, they do, but they are not the only ones. And we need to look at hospitals and other providers as medical well, medical device companies, and actually all of the all of the players that we write about in the bill of the month
0: every month. Yes, who are largely not the insurers. So. Uh, For me, the biggest surprise came in the Thursday night debate when all 10 candidates said they would support guaranteeing coverage for people who are undocumented. As recently as when Congress debated the Affordable Care Act in 2009 and 2010, it was considered political suicide to even suggest that non-citizens be able to buy their own coverage on the insurance exchanges. That was sort of the the famous line when President Obama gave his speech before a joint session of Congress and a Republican jumped up and said he lied. He was talking about, you know, what was going to happen with undocumented people actually said they weren't
1: going to be eligible. Um, Why do you think that's changed so fast? And of course, it depends who you're talking about, right? Because Republicans jumped on this today as an example of the extremist Democrats. But the conversation around immigration has changed. We saw in California, Gavin Newsom try as this, you know, leader of the biggest left state to try to extend coverage to the undocumented People talk about immigration differently than they, than they did in 2009, 2010, and there's just not the same mainstream democratic aversion to providing benefits for the undocumented. You think that's sort of a reaction to, to what's happening at the southern border and, and the sort of the, the upset with the Trump administration and what's happening to people
0: who are trying to claim
1: asylum? That seems like a reasonable interpretation, right? I mean, in some ways, immigration has become much more of a politically realigned subject than it once was. And one could say that's in a large part because of President Trump and the outspoken role he has taken on immigration.
0: Immigration, you know, like healthcare care, used to be more regional than it was partisan. Um, and now it feels like it's one of those issues where Democrats are going to be on one side and Republicans are going to be on the other.
1: Abolish ICE is the, the one of the slogans of the
0: left, right? That's true. So another issue where Democrats seem to be moving left is abortion. Everyone on both stages seem to be trying to outdo each other on how supportive they are of a woman's right to choose abortion. I know this is an election where both sides are trying to excite their bases enough to get them to come vote. But aren't Democrats running the risk of alienating more moderate members of their party who aren't as enthusiastic about abortion rights as the party activists are? This is
1: very tricky, right, because Planned Parenthood is popular. Roe versus Wade, fairly popular. Abortion, very, very polarizing. And the question remains, right, how are Democrats going to talk about this in the general election? Are they going to be as vocal on abortion as they have been the recent part of the primary? It probably also depends on the news. We've had a lot of abortion in the news lately. It's very hard to avoid it if you're a Democrat. And right now the base cares about it a lot. But if you go into a general election cycle where maybe there aren't as many bills to talk about or there are other things you can focus on, maybe you back off because you see that abortion was a very, very risky topic to talk about in 2016. Yes. The states
0: that are going to be really important to the Democrats, at least the ones that seem to be, are the ones that President Trump won in 2016. Pennsylvania, Michigan, Wisconsin, states where there are a lot of fairly conservative Democrats who are maybe not as enthusiastic about abortion rights as people
1: in California and New York are. This is one of the interesting things also about the Medicare for all discussion, right? Medicare for all is going to pay for every abortion in the country, apparently. And we will see how that plays out with voters who are weighing proposals like that, especially if Bernie Sanders is the nominee. Yeah, it's worth
0: reminding that that the Affordable Care Act literally came within an eyelash of not becoming law because of abortion. Abortion was the last thing settled on the last day and literally the last hours. And that was promising that federal funding in the Affordable Care Act would not pay for abortion. And remember, that was all Democrats. Those were Democrats fighting Democrats. So it is surprising sort of how far the Democrats have come in such a short time on this issue.
1: And it does seem again, right, like like immigration. It's an issue where at least the Democratic base has consolidated and moved further to the left than it was even nine years ago.
0: Well, this is the first of what I'm sure will be many debates, and we will talk about health a lot more. But for the meantime, Shafali Luthera, thanks for joining us and have a happy fourth. Thanks. You too. OK, that's our update. Now, if you want to learn more about Medicare for All and what it really means, here's our explainer from February. So Medicare for all. I want to start by talking about Medicare itself, because I think there are lots of misconceptions about what it does and doesn't cover. Uh, You know, people seem happy with it, but it's not the world's most generous program,
2: right, Rebecca? Rebecca? It definitely is, and it doesn't cover all of the costs that seniors have. You'll hear this a lot if you talk to older people who are on the program. Um, Just for the outpatient program, there is a small deductible every year $185. There is their premiums, which are $1,620, and then if you actually get And more get if sick, you
0: earn more money.
2: Yes, exactly right, yes, because they added that during the 2003 prescription drug law. So, um, and then if you actually get sick, then it's something like $1,364 every time you go into the hospital. So this all adds up. You see that a, a big percentage of a lot of American Social Security checks go to Medicare. And so when people talk about Medicare for all... I Sort of think of it as this free health care, which it might be. Sort of, is. Sort of is. Part uh, A
0: is free if you work long enough and at a social security, a job where you pay social security taxes.
2: Yes. But you still have to plan for those health care costs.
0: So, what should we know about? What else should we know about Medicare as it exists today?
3: It doesn't come long, it does not cover long term care, which is one of the big surprises. People uh, do not quite under not do not quite understand it. They do not understand it. It covers some skilled nursing uh, care for a limited period of time, but it does not cover grandma's nursing home or home home based alternative. Um, Medicaid does for some people who qualify poor people or people who've used up their assets, Medic, that's probably the biggest misconception. Medicare does not cover long-term care. Long-term care costs a lot of
4: money. Well, I was just talking to um, my grandparents actually a couple of weeks ago when they were talking about how they had purchased a separate plan for long-term care, but the premiums had actually gotten so high that they had decided to cut that off. But what a lot of people end up doing is they have to spend out their assets and then they end up getting that care through Medicaid. But that's a pretty big financial cost to them.
3: Basically, you have to wipe most of your assets out to qualify for Medicaid, and you can't transfer them to your kids and pretend that you've. Uh, there, there, are, there are rules against that, uh, unless you're okay, a really sure. good long-term planner.
2: <laughs> <laughs> right, right. And and one other thing is that traditional Medicare doesn't cover hearing or vision or dental, which is a big issue, or foot care, which is a big issue. Yes, and so that's why we see more people choosing the Medicare Advantage private plans, which sometimes do cover those things. Which we'll and get have, to in a minute, and have an out-of-pocket <laughs> cost, which. Regular Medicare doesn't. That's
0: right. And we should point out, Joanne and I remember this, is that Medicare doesn't, unlike most private insurance, Medicare doesn't have a stop loss. If you get really sick, you pay 20% of your outpatient costs into perpetuity. It's not like there's a cap. There, there's no
3: catastrophic cap.
0: Yeah. Right. There, there was one for about 15 minutes. And... Which we're not going to let Julie <laughs>
3: digress on right now. We'll That's come right. back
2: to it some other day. Yes.
4: Right? <laughs> you can you can go look up Medicare. Memory lane.
2: <laughs> yes. Well, so, so a lot of people s- shaking their canes on. <laughs> well, so Rocks a lot and of and seniors
4: like by Medigap plans yes. then, yes. right? What percentage is that? I forget. It's a pretty high percentage high. of seniors that end up supplementing yes. that. I want before we, we should
3: sh- also point out that we've just talked about a lot of things that are Missing in Medicare, we should also point out that it has – that for lower-income people, there is additional help with these costs. They're called duals. They're Medicaid and Medicare.
0: And there's about 9 million of them.
3: Right. And we should also point out that for everything that we just said about Medicare, it has been (laughs) – it is a really important part of the social – safety net, it has made a huge difference in um, the lives of older Americans since its creation in 65. So we ju- we just listed a whole lot of things wrong with it. And I think going forward in this policy debate, it's really important for people to understand what it is and what it is not. But just because we did a little bit of Medicare bashing, it doesn't mean that it's not a program that has just helped countless
0: families. No. And, and we should point out that because of Medicare's shortfalls or whatever, that the things that Medicare does not cover... Most people uh, who are not on also on Medicaid have some sort of private insurance Medigap. that supplements their Medicare, either Medigap or Medicare Advantage. Why don't you, Joanne? What's Medigap? It's an
3: additional policy you buy to fill in the gaps that what Medicare doesn't cover. It has nothing to do with subways,
2: <laughs> and and Medicare Advantage. Medicare Advantage. These are the private plans that were expanded in the 2003 drug law, and about 34% of people on Medicare now use these plans. And
3: they, they're popular. I mean, they're more popular than people anticipated. The first go-around of Medicare private plans in the earlier was called Medicare C. Medicare it plus, plus Choice. Right. Yeah. Didn't do well. It really failed in rural areas. It wasn't that popular. It sort of fizzled. and then it it, was, Well, it wasn't
0: that generous. I mean, the, the deal right. with Medicare Advantage is basically Medicare gives you free choice. Choice of doctor and hospital, you can basically go to anyone, and almost everyone at this point takes Medicare. We'll get to that in a minute. Um, and if you go into Medicare Advantage, it's more like the managed care plans that most of us are used to. You know, you have to be in network. Mm-hmm. Most Medicare Advantage plans don't cover out of network care, they cover it on a very limited basis. So your deal is they'll pay your premiums and deductibles usually. Sometimes you have to pay a premium. But there's very few out-of-pocket costs with Medicare Advantage, but you are limited in who you can see. That is the trade-off. But it
3: is is way more proper than anticipated. I mean, particularly after the ACA and some changes over the last few years, there was an anticipation that the growth would slow, and it it didn't. Well, part of it... People like it.
4: Yeah, I think part of it is it's very... People that have been in employer-sponsored coverage their whole lives, they're familiar with that type of insurance. They're familiar with how Having to make sure your providers in network, so yeah, there's, a a, there's people... been a generational shift. I feel exactly, like. so it's like a smooth transition for a lot of people. It feels comfortable, and some them.
3: people are forced into it by. I mean, like um, my mother was a retired state employee in New Jersey, and she had regular Medicare and with supplemental coverage through her as a retiree, and they put her in Medicare Advantage. And um, she has an mm-hmm. MPH; she's a medical sociologist. I still had to spend, we've had to spend a lot of time discussing the differences and with her it wasn't a choice and it's fine it's a ppo she's got she's, she can still see her providers mm-hmm. um. She blames it on Governor Christie, but that, too, is a digression we do not have to go into right I will
4: say Republicans love Medicare Advantage. Like, they love talking about what a success it's been because I think to them it's a great example of how, like, the government can interact with private industry to provide coverage for people. So, But
0: just before we get into sort of our Medicare role, I wanted to, to make, a, make a point that, yeah, there's an awful lot of private insurance involved in Medicare now. Plus, there are private insurance companies that basically process all of the billing for regular Medicare, for traditional Medicare. Medicare, too. So so there's private insurance all through the Medicare program. There's a visible
3: and invisible role of private insurers that I think some of the general public talking about single payer and ending private insurance do not understand how much private insurance is involved. Uh, Medicare Advantage, Medicare drug benefits, as well as the Medicare, the the various kind of supplemental plans,
0: and because, we didn't even, and the we didn't mention of... Medicare drug benefits. That's private also, and you have to enroll mm-hmm. in it
2: separately. That's true, and it's not only true for Medicare; it's also true for Medicaid. Sixty eight percent of people in Medicaid are in comprehensive risk plans. So, and others are other plans, that's of, right? Yeah, and others are in other kinds of managed care
0: plans. Yeah, so, lots of private insurance in Medicare. Um, so, let's back up a little bit and talk about some semantics because a lot of people use the phrases Medicare for all. And single payer and universal coverage as synonyms, but they're really not all the same things. What what are kind of some of the differences? Well,
4: universal coverage is that's like the overarching goal when you talk to de, whenever I talk to Democrats on the Hill and trying to kind of understand how they're thinking differently about expanding Medicare, the one thing they all say to me is we're unified around this goal of universal coverage and where we're at in Meaning this. Meaning everybody has health insurance. Meaning everybody, everybody has, has health.
3: affordable health coverage. Is right. Implicit. Um, so yeah. they have it has to be affordable. You can't. It's not access. It's getting actually getting covered.
4: Right, right. And so, um, right, and so, like, um, you know, you can talk about sort of overhauling the entire system, which we'll talk about when we discuss this, some of the the uh, the, the plan that's coming out. But a lot of more moderates are in favor of just trying to close the existing gap. So, what what's our uninsured rate now? We're at like ten percent. You no, know, higher. eight percent higher yeah. 11, or 12, about, 12, yeah, 12. 12 or 13 yeah yeah which actually in progress on reducing that has has notably stalled in recent years um it's about 28 million people I yeah think. yeah so a lot so a lot of the conversation the way to think about this is is you know do you, how do you close that gap with with 28 uh, million people but i think that's one thing that democrats do have going for them is versus versus republicans in their repeal replace efforts is i think democrats do share this overall arching goal of we should reach universal coverage whereas republicans were never really unified on exactly like what that what the landscape should look like, but yeah. there's it's an ends
3: and means argument. People are using them as synonyms: single payer, Medicare for all, and and universal coverage. As page as page said, people are using them interchangeably. Universal coverage is the ends, getting everybody covered. Medicare for all, or me, whatever you call it, or a single plan, a single payer plan, are both ends po, or means. means one of many means to covering to getting to universal coverage. Medicare for all is a form of single payer. You could have forms of single payer that are not Medicare. So it's confusing, but the the basic thing is Medicare for all and single payer are both ways of setting up a system that achieves universal coverage. There are other countries' Um, And there are other blueprints in this country to achieve universal coverage without Medicare for all. And we are going to be hearing a lot about this fight for quite a few years to
4: come. And the other thing people mix up is this idea of a public option, which is sort Mm -hmm. of another. So some of the plans um, that we'll talk about, like this Medicaid for all, would basically introduce a public option into the marketplaces. And that should be distinguished, of course, from the idea of single payer, because with public option, you're just talking about like a government backed plan among many private insurance options as well. So there are lots, lots and lots of different and, ways to do it. And I'm this. not
3: sure how well we just explained it all if we lived out everybody as <laughs> confused as they were. But there's lots of terminology which people are not clear about, either in their own minds or how they speak about it. And, that is, and we will have to come back to this and help break yes. this down over and over again, both as writers in our own jobs and on this podcast, because this is a really complicated and important national debate in terms of policy and politics. The fact that people are mushing up, which is, I think, that most appropriate word I can think of, these terms and not really having clarity about people. People are talking at each other, thinking they're talking about the same thing when they're not.
0: So um, this could sort of be... We're going to have to help untangle that. We'll get better at it as we do it again. I think one of the other big points of confusion is that people talk about every other country has single-payer systems, and that's really not true. Every other country has – first of all, most countries, most other sort of developed countries uh, have – systems that are different from each other. Um, there's very few countries that have you know plans that are even all that similar. They they do it in different ways. But every single other country has a role for private insurance, right? Some little, some big. And our
3: colleague, Sarah Cliff, I think Julia's going to put this um, straight up on the website later. Sarah did a really good job looking at um, the role of private insurance around the world. And it exists in different forms, very different forms in different countries, but it exists everywhere. <laughs>
2: I remember on a reporting trip many years ago, I was surprised to hear that there were private insurers in Canada. And I was surprised to hear that benefits vary by province. So there is a lot of variation. I mean, in England, there's private insurance. If there which things- I think
0: that was a bigger. I'm, I under Canada is sort of the Medicare. That Medicare for all, the way it's being talked about, is kind of modeled on Canada, which is confusingly or not called Medicare in mm-hmm. Canada. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is, you know, government provided. But, uh, I mean government paid but privately provided the way Medicare is the, the you know our hospitals don't belong to the government and doctors don't work for the government but the but the government pays the bills and that's that's it's a public basically... sector
3: check for a private sector provider
0: right whereas in England it really is a public sector. Check for a public sector. You work for provided. The yeah, national you work health for the national service. health service, and yet even England has private insurance yes. because there are things that the national health service in, in England doesn't cover. And I,
3: I believe, one of you can correct me that if I'm wrong. This may be out of date information, but I believe that Canada doesn't cover prescription drugs. Is yes. that still the I, case? I right? think
2: it varies from, from it among, varies. Yeah, from yeah. Province, province to province. province do okay. Yeah.
0: yeah, so some of them don't, and you can buy insurance for prescription drugs, drugs, and people do. Maybe they import them from the United States. (laughs) (laughs) That's a whole other subject. All right. Well, it feels like Medicare for All started with Bernie Sanders and his unsuccessful run for the Democratic presidential nomination in 2016. At least that's, you know, most people date it back to 2016. But this idea, as well as Sanders support for it, I might add, actually goes back several decades. I recently unearthed then Congressman Sanders' support for Medicare for All bill that was introduced in 1993. But during, Wasn't it 1955 or something? Uh, Wasn't oh, the
3: original Dingle bill back John in yes. Dingle? Yes, yes, the original, right. John,
0: right, the original John Dingle bill was John Dingle's father back during the New Deal. It was the one thing that they couldn't get done when they were doing Social Security. Um, but I wanted to talk about sort of what's different in the debate now than it was either in 2009 when they were doing the Affordable Care Act and there was a big single-payer push, or in 1993 during the Clinton you know health push that didn't happen when there was also a big single-payer push. Are we, have we reached sort of a tipping point in this debate? I mean, it's always it's been... It's part of the
3: dialogue. It's not part of the French. That doesn't mean that it's going to pass this year or next year or the year after or the year after that, but it is... Um, and, and what... And it may never pass in the form that some people are talking about it, but it is part of the political dialogue in a way that we have not seen. And it may it, – it, we don't know how it's going to, evolve, going to evolve. There may be a bigger role for Medicare and public plan, various kinds of government-funded plans and government-funded options. There may be a number of variants that are short of the Bernie Sanders vision of Medicare for All, which I should quickly add is not opening the current Medicare system to everybody. It's a whole new system he would call Medicare. So where it goes, we don't know. Is it part of the discussion? Is it shaping how people think? Um, Is it being listened to? In a in a way we have
2: not seen before. Yes, it is not going to become law tomorrow. I think it's interesting when you think about the the Obamacare debate. Um, they had a really tough time getting support for a public option. It ultimately didn't pass because of people like Joe Lieberman and ben I think Nelson. because of Joe Lieberman. <laughs> yes, maybe Ben and, Nelson. <laughs> exactly. And so you know that was not the same thing that that Senator Sanders is talking about. That was just. You know, just a, a plan alongside other plans that people would have an option in the exchange to buy in the exchange. And so the idea of shifting everyone in America to a new system and getting rid of employer-sponsored coverage and private marketing coverage—it's—it's it's just an incredible idea. You know, it would—it would be a huge feat, and it would. There are so many practical well, questions there, there that were would have to be There were some versions that
0: would have it done in a year.
2: In, in the House version last yeah. time, when Keith Ellison was sponsoring it, yes. Um, and the the Bernie Sanders version like last time would be anything four year, right? Right. I mean, we, well, we even even with four a four year transition like Senator Sanders is calling for, that's pretty amazing. I mean, think about. Us moving the Medicaid expansion and changing a little part of the private insurance market, th- as we did through Obamacare, they did that in three and a half years, and, and it look was a at mess. What happened? It was just incredible. They, they couldn't, couldn't get, get the, the computer working exactly. right. So
3: it was, it, and, and it was a mess, and it was confusing, and it was controversial, and this is bigger. I mean, this is way bigger. I will so say, bigger. like,
4: I think what has changed and I, I wasn't like watching all of this in the 90s, obviously, but um, like we have huge expensive drugs uh, that have come online since then. We have an aging population. Um, And I think healthcare costs – people are more worried about healthcare costs than they were perhaps back in the 90s, and that might be kind of feeding into, like, why people seem to be more receptive possibly to this idea. Um, But to what you two were saying, um, you know, overhauling the system of employer-sponsored coverage, I mean, like – a lot of people have pointed out if you really want to transform our system, even even like to folks on the right, like you should remove the employer tax break and you should just completely, you know, uh, rely on the free market and yada yada. But they're I mean, that's just completely like out of the question. So I think it's same on the left where it's, it's like, what this 160
0: idea of, million people that get their insurance, yeah.
4: They, yeah, about half buy of from employers. And we yeah. should point
3: yeah. out that the other half of Americans who are covered, um, not the uninsured, obviously, but they uh, they do have some form of some very of single-payer government-funded, whether it's through Medicare, whether it's through Medicaid, whether it's through the VA, whether it's through TRICARE, whether it's through Indian Health Service. Am I missing anything? Their
2: children's health program,
3: which (laughs) is part of Medicaid. But Um, they all rely on private insurers. They all have a role for private insurers, but...
0: Not so much the VA, but...
2: Well, no, not the VA. But but but. they
3: have... That we do have... For for people who say, I don't want government-run health insurance, keep the government out of health care government is in healthcare yeah, in really popular programs that the people who are saying get the government out of healthcare probably rely on or, or their like relatives do. The, it's and, and without necessarily understanding that it's government right.
4: The voters that say get the government off my Medicare
2: <laughs> right. out yeah. away right. from my Medicare.
4: <laughs>
3: right. So that we already have a mixed system. We what we have is we have more of both in each side. We have more private insurance in our public policies than the left seems to mm-hmm. understand. And we have more government in our healthcare system, overall, reasonably successfully in terms of how many people are covered and what we do with it and what we've achieved, partially in over the last sixty years, fifty-five years, whatever since nineteen sixty-five, um, you know, we, there's a bigger government role than the right chooses to acknowledge. So, I mean, one of the problems is, you know, people just don't listen to this podcast enough. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, let's talk. Hey, let's let's
0: talk for a minute about the continuum of what's on the table. I mean, let's start with with the, the Medicare for all. You were saying we're gonna we're gonna see the new version next week. Is yeah, that
4: the... it should be the week after next. Congress is out next week, but they'll be they'll be coming back after that. And so, um, a couple I, myself and some other health reporters caught Representative Jayapel yesterday on the Hill, and she said, "And this so, is, this
0: is the the sponsor of the right what so used this, to be the Sanders bill, in the exactly. House. Yeah, so
4: she." She is releasing what she told us was going to be a 150-page bill, so much, much more detailed than – there was actually a version um, in the House, um, but but it was more of like an six-page outline. Um, She had actually planned to roll out the legislation this week, but I heard that she wasn't able to get as many co-sponsors. She wanted at least 100 on it to kind of have this big, grand rollout. And so they said they're very close to getting that number. And so I think the plan is um, a week from next Tuesday, so the 26th, to do some kind of big rollout. Um, Which is the
3: same day as the pharmaceutical executives are testifying. Actually, that'll, it is. That's going to be. be a oh, that's <laughs> going to be a, a huge day. <laughs> day on the Hill. My
4: goodness. Um, but um, but you know, this. I think, Joanne, you said earlier. Basically, this this is being called Medicare for all, but this actually would transform the Medicare system into something much more generous. It sounds like under it's a what whole she's new thing. Yeah. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So, um, I've been told that mental health care, long term care, will be in it, and then a whole slew of other things. She wants to add in dental coverage. Um, uh, prenatal care, um, you know, a lot of other benefits uh, and, and also is proposing and no, no premiums and no copays. No, right? Yeah, exactly. No, And no a lot of, of details
3: costs. up to HHS. So and yep. it also assumes that you can negotiate prices that will make it pay for, you know, there are a lot of assumptions still.
4: What's interesting is uh, Jayapal's on the Budget Committee, but actually there are a number of other members on Budget that have also introduced sort of competing proposals, Mm -hmm. um, and so which are much less aggressive. Um, So we saw, I think, Medicare for America, which from Schakowsky and Rosa DeLauro, and that would um, like basically preserve the existing system of employer-sponsored coverage, but also expand Medicare, allowing people to buy into that if they wish to. Um, And then um, Representative Higgins has the Medicare for 50 bill as well, which a number of members rolled out yesterday, and that would essentially expand eligibility for the program down to age 50. But it's a buy-in. It's not a coverage. There'd be sort of two tiers of
3: Medicare. Right. You could buy in, including taking your ACA credits to buy it,
2: And you would do it through the exchange. Correct. Right.
3: So there are lots of variants of these bills, and there will probably be more before we're done. And it, it can be confusing to keep the details um, straight, because I think there are eight or nine proposals already. Um, but I think basically we can divide them sort of somewhat crudely into two categories. One is a total revamp of American health care, creating something called Medicare, which is not the same thing as the current Medicare and moving everybody into that, um, and within a couple of years, different bills have different timetables. So that's the Medicare for all, with which isn't really what we now think of as Medicare. And then there's a whole bunch of other. Um, variants of opening up Medicare as an alternative to everybody or as an alternative for people over buying over 50. There's some Medicaid buy-in proposals. So those are Medicaid, various kinds of Medicare expansions. It's what the politically it's being, it's the Medicare for more versus the Medicare for all, which is one of several debates going on.
2: And and there are even some differences between the Sanders bill and what we're expecting in the House. I mean, Sanders would keep a part of Medicaid going to c- take care of long-term care, while the House version would, would not do that. Um, but I think that one thing that is unifying for all of these bills is that they are opposed by industry because – Providers don't want the disruption. They don't want to be paid less. And I think that they're getting over that political hur- hurdle is going to be an enormous challenge for all of these things. Um, I think it also is going to be a big distinguishing factor between the 2020 Democratic presidential contenders, because we've seen a lot of the folks on the, on the left, Elizabeth Warren, Kamala Harris, Cory Booker, you know, all of the folks who are progressives, um, they have endorsed the Sanders bill while also saying that they support the Medicare buy-ins and other things. While people like Amy Klobuchar and, um, and Sherrod Brown, in particular, has been a little more cautious. I mean, he got a lot of flack in Iowa recently because activists were saying, why don't you support Medicare for all? So he hasn't yet announced, but we expect him to be. And his answer there. is because I've been in Congress for 25 years and I know
3: what I can achieve. Is right. Basic, right. Yeah. Right, basically, I, I
0: fought right. these battles.
3: Because, yes. right. you know, it's funny to see him not as labeled as someone who's not a progressive because those of us who've watched him for many years who've yes. actually thought of him as sort of quite progressive yes. um, but the times change. <laughs>
4: But yeah, industry, I think a number of us have reported on how they formed this, like, part, what they're calling partnership for America's healthcare future Mm -hmm. last summer. And they're trying to be pretty aggressive and out front. They've rolled out some ad buys this year. And uh, they really see this as, like, the next big threat. Now that they sort of batted back the repeal replace efforts, now, like, on the left, they see this as pretty threatening because, you know, we haven't noted that Medicare does reimburse providers at about 40% less than private insurers. So, and what's interesting is that, like, and I've talked to folks with this partnership they're they don't even seem open to like anything incremental i mean any you say but any kind of medicare expansion they're they're pretty much opposed to
3: and we should say that it's pretty much every sector who even groups that sectors in the healthcare sector that are fighting with each other about other aspects of healthcare such as drug prices um or or you know who's going to pay for the surprise bill problem, a solution, Um, they're united on fighting this. So they've already gotten very well organized. Um, Not every – there is some division of opinion among physicians and nurses and other individual providers. Not every Mm -hmm. uh, medical group is – as opposed, there's most of the establishment groups are pretty opposed, but there is a growing and somewhat, some of it is generational. The even younger in, doctors, yeah. Say
0: even in the American Medical Association, yeah.
3: um, I mean, there's some of them are fed up with a lot of. You know, they're fed up with a lot of things in healthcare too, and they're ready for something uh, more dramatic to change.
0: And of course, in California, this is being pushed by the nurses. Yes. There's sort of the, the lead, you know. Whoever,
3: the, in that particular union, is not known for its appreciation of incremental steps. <laughs> um, you know, they were one of the reasons why the Schwarzenegger plan, uh, which was a lot like what Massachusetts had, which was back in, I think, 2008, 2009, uh, that didn't go through, partly because of the California nurses. Um, so I, when we talk about the the sort of monolithic opposition, from the industry it is monolithic it is already well organized it is a, a a coalition that is only going to get more organized but I think we do need to note that among
0: physicians and some of the physicians group there's
3: a, they're not as solid rock solid against all of these proposals
0: and again because the proposals vary and I, and I think you know another way to do I thing, think
3: it depends on their zip code
0: yeah that that too <laughs> but I think I think what um one of the ways to think about this is not as the role not Partly is how much of a transition, how much of a big change there would be to the health, you know, basically the, the healthcare system in the United States, but also will there be a role for private insurance? Mm-hmm. I think we, we've already seen this, Kamala Harris, when, you know, she was asked, it's like, yeah, no, let's get rid of private insurance, you know, because people hate it. That was sort of the...
3: Right, but it's also like the healthcare is a fifth of our economy. So uh, there are a lot of people who work in the healthcare care center, some of whom are not, you know neurosurgeons making a million dollars. There's a lot of, you know, pink-collar people and, um, you know, clerical and processing people. And, I mean, there's a huge amount of dislocation that is not—I mean, it it was brought up a little bit during the 2016, and, I mean, I I heard a few people, even just back during the the Bernie Hillary days, there was some discussion that I don't—I haven't heard a solution for that. I mean, there's a lot of people whose lives would be shaken up. Mm
4: -hmm. I think, like, uh, you've also seen, like, opposition from some of the left-leaning think tanks and activists to this idea of a sweeping Medicare for all. Um, you saw Andy Slavitt, former administrator of the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services under Obama, actually has endorsed the Medicare 50 bill, I believe. And so I think underlying all of this, there's kind of a real fear among um, health care advocates on the left that Democrats could appear too extreme on this issue and then kind of lose the chance to make some of these more incremental changes that could get us closer to universal coverage.
3: Right. I mean, there's there's a difference. You hear a lot of the word aspirational comes up a lot. There are a lot of people um, in the Democratic Party who like the idea of single-payer Medicare for whatever, whatever terminology we end up using for it, but don't think you can get there in a year, two years, three years, four years. They don't think you can get there practically, and they don't think you can get there politically. And in the meantime, they... And I've even heard some of the Medicare for All people say, we, we, this doesn't mean we don't shore up the ACA in the meantime. It doesn't mean we don't work on pre-existing conditions. It doesn't mean we don't work on surprise bills. It doesn't mean we don't work on drug costs. That even the most um, passionate believers in Medicare for All fast – understand it is not 30 seconds from now. And there they are, in fact, there was hearings this week in the House on how do you shore up some of the ACA. There are multiple tracks going on here. And one of the things the Democrats have to figure out is how to balance this aspirational versus pragmatic without killing each other.
4: All right. Well, this
0: debate is going to go on and on and on. But I'm going to stop ours here. I don't
3: mean literally killing <laughs> each other. But, you know.
0: I know. I hope that helps people who feel a little lost in the Medicare for all debate. And I promise we will do this again because I'm sure we'll need to do it several Times. And we'll get better at explaining it because it's actually,
3: it's difficult. <laughs> yeah, you know? it and it's, it's also hard to explain it without having everybody get mad at you. Because if you say there's not common definitions, you get a lot of people yelling at you, yes, there are, but it's their definition that they assume is the common definition. Right. So.
0: All right. That is our show. Thank you all for listening. If you enjoyed the podcast, you can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. We'd also appreciate it if you left us a review on iTunes. That helps other people find us, too. Also, as usual, you can email us your questions or comments. We're at whatthehealth, all one word, at kff.org. Or you can tweet me. I'm at jrovner.
4: PW underscore (laughs) Cunningham.
0: At Rebecca Adams DC. At Joanne Cannon. We'll be back in your feed next week. In the meantime, be healthy.